Last night, um, some of us went up to Bricktown. We got, well, Brady Brewer has been here before, preached for us. And uh, he invited us to come up with him and do some street evangelism. And he was doing some open-air preaching. And, uh, you know, we we went several times before. But I have never seen the apathy, just the lack of no care, no concern, just people, I mean, nobody is stopping at all. Now, do I somewhat expect that? Sure. But I have never seen it to that extent before. And uh, so today, uh, with the message that I feel like the Lord has placed on my heart, which the message today, we've been, you know, I, when I've been preaching on Sundays, um, I've been trying to go through the names of the Lord, and today we're going to deal with uh, Yahweh Rohi or Jehovah Rohi. The Lord is my shepherd. And I'm going to read this psalm, and we're going to bow in prayer, and we'll get right into the word. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, this morning as we have come, I I thank you, God, for the privilege that we have even to this day in this country where we can still meet without uh, threats or harm. I fear that the day is is approaching when all of that will change. And uh, Lord, my prayer today is as we go through this psalm that David wrote, that we could we could see you in the in the eyes that David saw you. And we pray, God, today that you would get glory for yourself, that your word would be proclaimed, and that Christ would be exalted. Amen. The 23rd Psalm, when you read the commentators, there, there's people have different views on what was going on in David's life, you know, when he reflected back and wrote Psalm 23. Some feel like it's when he fled to the, the forest in Hereth from King Saul. Some feel like it was during the time when Absalom, his son, had taken over the kingdom for a few short days and David had to flee for his life. I don't really know when it was, but I think that whatever time it was, it might have been a reflection of, of many things in David's life. As, as David reflects back, in his early days as a youth, he was a shepherd boy. That's where he was at. That's what he was doing when he came to the armies of Israel and saw a giant named Goliath challenging and defying the armies of the living God. 
David was a shepherd. And so David can relate to this. And he starts the psalm off. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, he's speaking of God. He's speaking of Yahweh. He's saying, Yahweh is my shepherd. David writes this from a, a personal intimacy and an experience. When he says the Lord is, is my shepherd, he's not talking about the Lord is the shepherd of the church. The Lord is the shepherd of his people. But he's saying the Lord is my shepherd. So many times when, when we, as, as Christians, when we talk about how that God loves us, so many of the times, so many people cannot personalize that with themselves because so many Christians do not feel that God loves them. They feel like God loves this group, and I'm glad to be in this group because God loves this group. But I want you to know today, as a child of God, that God loves you. If you're a child of God, the Lord is your Shepherd. Jesus in John 10, in verses 11 and 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. You don't have to turn there. But this, this is the term Jesus gives himself at that, at that point in the, in the gospel of John. And in those two verses, it tells us that he gives his life for his sheep and he knows his sheep by name, and they know him. Now, what's interesting about that, that the Lord calls himself our shepherd, is that in that day and time, a shepherd's work was considered the lowest of all work. I mean, it was like the most, you know, the lowest on the totem pole of work it would be. And so what, what we see here is why, why would the Lord say that he is our shepherd? If that is the lowest of tasks, that a job that you could do. I mean, if, like David, he was the youngest in his family. He was tending his father's sheep. Why was it given to him? Because he was the last in line. He was the one, hey, David, you get out there and you, you, you shepherd the sheep. You see, a shepherd would stay with the sheep. He basically lived with the sheep he protected them he cared for them he watched over them he led them he was their guide he was their comfort but you couldn't just put them out there like cattle and come check on them you had to stay with them so why in the world would jesus say i am the good shepherd i think it's just a picture that christ came from his exalted, glorious state that he brought himself to this low place to be our shepherd. Now, I want you to understand something. A shepherd might have been a low task, but sheep were not the brightest animals. They are not very smart animals. They don't really know how to care and fend for themselves. They are basically defenseless. And so we, like David, David had been a shepherd, but now he's viewing himself as a lamb, as a sheep in the fold of God. And he's saying that Yahweh 
is my shepherd. And so Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He comes down to care and to comfort and to protect and to guide and to lead us, his sheepfold, his people. He took that lowest of of tasks in this picture we have here to care for us. People that do not know how to do it on our own. We don't know how to guide our own lives. And if you think you do, you don't. You don't know how to fend for yourself. You don't know how. We don't know how to do anything unless the Lord has shown us. Think about this. Do you know that the Bible says we, we, don't, we don't even know how to love? We learn love because he first loved us. We learn how to love through Christ. I was sharing that with a, a, a young man one time on a job that professed to be a believer. He had made that sinner's prayer, so somebody dubbed him as a Christian. And I started sharing with him how that, as a Christian, when we love God most, I said this, I said, you've never loved your wife as much as you can until you love God most. You've never loved your children as much as you can until you love God most. And he said, that doesn't even make any sense. If I love God with everything, I don't have any left for anybody else. You see, the only way you understand that is if you're a born-again believer. It's the only way you understand that. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. And I thought it was interesting also that unlike a king, Jesus also, he, picked, he, he is our king. He is the king of kings, right? We can relate. I mean, we can see that, right? But most people don't really, the common people don't get to get, get near to a king, do they? In other places, he refers to himself as the rock. A rock is an, is an inanimate object. There's not a personal intimacy with a rock. I mean, just as rocks go. Or he talks about him being our shield. But when he talks about him being our shepherd, he is talking about a close, intimate, personal relationship with his people. That's what he's talking about. Last night as we were up there at Bricktown, and the last place we went was the worst place by by what what people were about to partake in in these two different clubs. I was part of my time I was thinking on this psalm and I was I was just sitting there watching this and I was listening to Brady preach and I was watching people there was a couple people that would turn and mouth something off or flippantly laugh. And, you know, I, I go to church. I mean, you know, just a little bit. There really wasn't much interaction whatsoever. But I just looked at them and I just like, they're just like, they're just like sheep with no shepherd. They're like cattle just going to the slaughter. And I thought, man, yeah, I live in a small town and we're pretty, you know, guarded i guess you could say we don't i mean oklahoma city by big city standards is not really big city it gets much worse when you go to los angeles or new york places like that but here we were just a little few blocks from the fountain at bricktown and man all i could think was i thought man i am glad that the lord is my shepherd that he is my shepherd 
He goes on next and he says this. He says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He says, I shall not want. David makes two declarations in this term, in this, in this phrase, I believe. One is, he says, I shall not want, meaning that all my needs are supplied by the Lord, my shepherd. I'm going to flip over to Luke chapter 12 very quickly. You can turn if you want. You don't have to. But listen to this. He's talking about, he starts in, in verse 22, chapter 12, and he talks and he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or about the body, what you will put on. He says, life is more than food and body is more than clothing. He says, consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And then he talks about all of this worrying and these anxieties that we have as people. You know, oh, how am I going to do this? How am I going to pay the bills? How, you know, all of these things. And listen, every one of us have felt it. I've heard Randy talk about no jobs to do. But guess what? The people that send the bills, they don't look at Randy and go, well, he don't have money, so we're not going to send the bill. No, they keep coming. It just keeps mounting up. And look what he goes on to say. He says, all these things, I'm, I'm skipping down to verse 30. He says, all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your father knows that you need these things. But he says this, he says, but seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. He says, do not fear, little flock. It's, it's a term of sheep. It's a term of a shepherd speaking to him. He said, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He says, sell what you have, give alms, provide yourselves money, bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, for where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now here's the thing. Does anybody here feel like you've got everything you want? No. Everybody in here would probably say, well, I want this. I want a better this, a better house, a better car. No, but I will tell you this, that God, the Lord who is our shepherd, he's also our provider. And David says this. He says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He said, I shall not lack. Because as a good shepherd, David knew what this meant to provide for his sheep. He knew what it meant to lead his sheep in ways that they are provided for, okay? And so when he says that, the next part of that is this. He says, I shall not want. I believe this. I believe that David, I believe that his desire above everything in this life was to be near his shepherd. You remember the woman at the well? She came at a time in the heat of the day. That was a picture of the fact that she didn't come early in the morning with the women and she didn't come late in the evening with the women because she was not acceptable to the women. She was an outcast, even in Samaria, who was an outcast to the Jews. But Jesus had a divine appointment with a woman who was coming to draw water at a well. And he brings up, he's 
starts a conversation where he asks for a drink. She says, how are you, being a Jew, would even speak to a woman of Samaria? Jews didn't even deal with the Samaritans. And rabbis, teachers in public didn't even speak to women. And here's Jesus. He says, can you give me a drink? She says, sir, he says, the water's, you know, the well's deep. You don't have nothing to drink. He says, tell you what, you ask me, and I'll give you water that you never have to come here again. We see this picture. We see a picture. This woman came with a, 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 a what's the word I'm looking for? Not a bucket, but she came with a bucket, a pail. She came to draw water. But if you notice, when she left, she didn't have any water. But what did she do? She said, you've got to come see a man. You've got to come hear a man. Is this not the one? Is this not the Messiah? He said, you drink of this water and you'll never thirst again. I want you to know something. As, as the Lord is our shepherd, we don't lack for things. We, according to our greed, we may want for things, but we don't lack for things. When I'm using want, I'm using it in today's modern way we would use. I want this and that. The word want back here means lack. I don't lack for anything. But the second one is this. Those sheep, as long as their shepherd was in their midst, they did not desire anyone else. They desired to be with their shepherd. And here's what he says. He said, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And here's why. He said, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. And he says, and he leads me beside the still waters. Now, when he's talking about these, these green pastures, he's talking about these, this tender, lush fields of grass. Last summer, thank the Lord, me and my wife got to go to Ireland. And I've never seen green grass that looks so... I mean, you just wanted to go out there and lay down in it. And I, when I read when I read this, I think of those places in, in Ireland. And we would go by these places and look just like it does in the movies. They'd all be pinned off with like stones or brush or something like that. And in this pen here would be sheep and over here would be cattle. And they were eating well. The shepherd, he says, the Lord's my shepherd and, and I shall not want, I shall not lack. I have him. He's in my midst. And he's leading me to green pastures. And he says, and he leads me beside the still waters. Some things you need to understand about this. Um, there, for, for sheep to lie down, for sheep to, to be able to come to that place where they can just relax and just lie down in this green field, four things had to be met, four conditions. They, they had to be free of fear. And because sheep are social type animals, they had to be free of friction amongst one another. The third one is they had to be free of flies and parasites that would get on their head and on their nose. And they had to be free of hunger. Those four things had to be met. I want to ask you something, church. 
The times that you feel like you can't just take that moment, that quiet time, and you can just lie down and you can open up God's Word and you can just read. I want to ask you, which one of these things is ruling in your life? Is it fear? Are we afraid of what's going to happen in our government in this next election and whoever? And I'm going to just tell you, listen, folks, they're all bad, okay? I'm just saying that. It's not looking good for America. Do you fear? I mean, are you looking around because you can't, oh, I don't know what's going to happen or this or that? Or, or what, are you having friction amongst one another? I mean, is there strife and envy going on and pushing and shoving? And, and I just can't feel that peace. What is it about the flies? That's an odd one to say, isn't it? Those are those nuisances. Those are those things that you ever had those moments and you're trying to pray, but your mind is just on all of these other things. Or are you just hungry and you don't know how to relax because of these other things? You see, when we're following the Lord, when we're following our shepherd, He takes the fears away. When we're following the Lord, there's no room for friction with one another. When we're following the Lord, he's going to say it later. He said he anoints our head. What it was was there was an anointment that this the shepherd would put on his sheep. And what it did is it kept the flies and the parasites off. It's similar to when we go outside and we spray down with off or something. We've got mosquitoes everywhere. We spray down. We smell terrible. And man, we're not getting ate up anymore, right? And does our God not feed us? It is incredible to me. Now, the Lord can feed us in, in, a, in a multitude of ways. Some is that time, that quiet time in His Word. Some can be through fellowship with one another. It is amazing to me how many Christians feel that they don't, there's no need for them to really come to God's assembly to be fed, to, to hear the word proclaimed that our soul is being fed. That, that amazes me. We live in strange times, I believe. The other one he says, he says, he, he leads me beside the still waters, quiet waters. Sheep are a, uh, they're very skittish. They're jumpy. Sheep will not drink from a loud, roaring type stream. They will not do it. And so what, what does the shepherd do? He finds those places. I can remember when we lived in Montana for a few years, there was a place that we would go down and we'd, we'd hike up this trail. And when you start, you can hear the roar of the rapids well before you ever see them. I mean, it is loud. It's, it's stuff that, I mean, you see in pictures and you see on movies and things like that. But you start going up this trail and you get up about a mile and a half and all of a sudden it's just like something was turned off. And the river's real wide, and it's real still, and it's just barely moving. And you go from this roar, and it's just this quiet. You see, 
because the shepherd cares for his sheep, he takes them to the place where they can drink, where that thirst can be quenched. That's what he does. See, David knew these things because David was a good shepherd. He, he could relate these things to the Lord because he cared for the sheep. Have you, have you ever thought about really the life of a shepherd? His life. I mean, real shepherds. We don't really have them over here in America anymore, but real shepherds over in those eastern part, those eastern countries over there where they still have them, that is his life. He cares for these animals. He's not harsh to them. He's tender with them. He's, he's, actually, he's very loving towards them. It's incredible to think that the Lord is that way with us. And then he says this in verse 3. He says, he restores my soul. Now, the idea, restores my soul, there's, there's, there's two things that probably this can be associated with. One of them is a term called a cast sheep, a sheep that is cast. And what that is, is often sheep, their wool would get thick. And they may get in water or something, but somehow they would get flipped upside down. And they got fat, okay? And what would happen is they could not roll their self over. Now, when that happened, the blood flow to their arms, I mean, their arms, their legs, their extremities would start getting shut down. And if, and if they weren't turned up, upright on their legs, they would die. It's what they call a cat's sheep. And a, and a shepherd would see this. He would get there as quick as possible, get his sheep up, and he would work the legs. He would be warming them up. He would be, and, and even on, the, on their stomach, he would be like massaging that to get the blood flowing right again. And he got a picture of restoring, giving. It's, it's like revitalizing. It's like re- giving, you know, it's like giving uh, just that, oh man, my spirit has been revived. That's the idea of what he means here. And the other one is this. We have a picture of it in, in, the, in the book of Luke. Where he talks about, he says, which one of you, if you have a hundred sheep, and, and there's ninety-nine here, but one of them has strayed away. He says, which one of you is not going to go after that sheep? He says, you'll leave the ninety-nine. And you will go search, and you will seek for that one until you find it. And then you'll carry it back. I want you to know that as the Lord is our shepherd. And sometimes the sheep, we stray away. We start going our own way. We start doing our own thing. I want you to know something. If you are one of his sheep, he is going to seek and search. And he's going to find. And at that point, he's going to pick you up. And he's going to carry you back. To his fold. Now these are images that we see as the Lord is our shepherd. But he's going to restore that. So there are so many people sitting in churches that feel unworthy. They feel ashamed of the life they've lived, the past they've had. And, and, and even as I tell you that, you can picture that scene. And that scene, it does something to your heart. But there's something in you that says, God will not do that for me. I tell you, he will. And I'm going to tell you why he'll do it. 
He said he leads me in the paths of righteousness. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, you know, he gives us in, in Matthew 7, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but he says there's, there's, there's a way that seems right. I mean, there's this way. He said it's a broad path. It's a wide gate. And there's a lot of people on that, on that road going that way. He says, but I'll tell you this. He said, there's a, there's a, a narrow pathway and a, and, a, and a small gate. The gate is very constricted. The path is tight. Matter of fact, you can't even bring anything through there with you. Meaning you've got to drop all them old burdens. The problem is on both of these entrances, it says this way to eternal life. We always, we always preach that stuff like one of them says, this way to hell, and everybody's jumping on it. Listen, folks, ain't nobody jumping on a road that says this is going to hell. No, everybody thinks what they're doing is right and okay. But he says, our shepherd will lead us in the paths of righteousness. Meaning what? He leads us in the paths of what is right. Now, is it always popular? Is it always easy? Now, contrary to a lot of books and a lot of people on TV that you'll hear, everything's supposed to be good and well and better. It's always prosperous, all you know, material-wise. You will not find that in Scripture. Your best life now may be in a women's prison camp teaching other women in there about the Lord because God providentially allowed you to somehow sneak a Bible in when you were stripped down naked past all the guards and then God kept the guards away from you while you taught other women by giving you fleas and lice. Think I'm making this story up? Go read the story of Corey Tinboom. That could be your best life now. And I will tell you this. As the Lord was her shepherd, he provided. She did not lack. It was a miserable place, but there was a joy and a sweet fellowship with Christ, even in a prisoner of war camp in Nazi Germany. Because he is our shepherd. Why do I guarantee that he'll do all these things? Well, it's you're probably thinking, well, because we're we're so likable, we're so good. No. He says he'll do these things for his name's sake. In Ezekiel chapter 36, I'll be real brief on this. I don't want to take up a lot of time. But when he's talking about what he's going to do with Israel. In verse, he talks about how that they have defiled and they have profaned his holy name by the things that they've done, the idolatries and all these different things. And in 36 of Ezekiel chapter or verse 21, he says, but I had concern for my holy name which the house of Israel had profaned amongst the nations wherever they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, 
I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake. He said, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went, and I will sanctify my great name. He said, which has been profaned amongst the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God. How how did that happen? I'll be real brief with this, but I want to read something to you. In Romans 3, when he talks about over here, he said, and you may think, what is he talking about now? Listen, he says in verse 23, he says, For all have sinned, and we fall short of the glory of God, and being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. Talking about through Christ Jesus, it says, Whom God set forth as a propitiation, that, that appeasement that, that satisfies the wrath of God. He says, he set him forth as a propitiation, he says, by his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. And to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What in the world is that talking about? I hear people preach that and they'll say, all, all the sins that you committed, they're up to date. And now since then, you know, we've got to keep things up in order to be right with the Lord. That is not what that passage is talking about. When he's talking about demonstrating his righteousness, he says God put Christ, his son, forth to demonstrate his righteousness in the forbearance of sin's past. What is he talking about? God has said, if you sin, if you eat of the tree, you will die. I want to ask you something. Did they die? Yes and no. They died physically and they were dying, but they lived, Adam lived 900 and something years, right? We have all these people who continually sinned and lived, sinned and lived. And people could make the statement, God's not true to his word. But when Christ came on the cross, when God placarded him up, and he died and he shed his blood. The first and foremost thing that Christ did was he demonstrated that God is holy. And his word is true. And his name is to be exalted above all other names. Why is that? I'll tell you this. When God said, if you sin, you'll die. I'll tell you this. That's a promise. Somebody is going to die for your sins. It's either going to be you and your unbelief and your rejection of a holy God and he sent his son or Christ who demonstrated his love for us. And then while we were sinners, he died for us. Christ died in our place. And God, who had passed over those sins, the sins that David committed, the, the writer of the psalm, the one who looked at Bathsheba and committed adultery and then went on to murder her husband. And he should have died. How do I know that? Because when Nathan the prophet came and told him in a parable what he had done, David's anger was so hot, he said, this man shall surely die. And he said, you are the man. And David said, I've sinned. And Nathan says, and God has forgiven you. How could God forgive David without somebody dying? 
Well, some several hundred years in the future, Christ, the one that David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he died in place of David. He took David's sins on him. And the reason I can tell you of a truth that what God has said he will do as our shepherd, because not on your account, not on my account, but for his name's sake, he will do these things. That's why he'll do it. He goes into part two. He says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. To walk through the valley of the shadow of death, picture a shepherd leading his sheep and they're going down into a valley and there's darkness, there's wild beasts, there can be all kinds of things around, there can be thieves and robbers, but those sheep, as long as they're following their shepherd, they follow him allegiantly, they follow him. And they say, I will follow him where it looks like death is imminent because I will, and I'll fear no evil. If you remember when, when Jesus and his disciples were out in the sea, now this wasn't a valley, but this is, this is imagery he's given us. It ain't always talking about going into a valley, but he's talking about going into places where it's, there's a deep darkness. And he says, the Bible says they were out in the sea and there became a tempest, a storm that was so severe that these men like Peter and James and John and Andrew, who were fishermen by trade, they knew how to operate on the storm. They feared for their life. Where was Jesus? He was in the bottom part of the boat, asleep on a cushion. And they wake him up and they said, Lord, Master, don't you even care that we're about to perish? And he says, oh, you have little faith. And he just told the winds and the storm, he says, be still. And he said, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? Now, does this mean that whatever happens to us, that we, we don't die? No. Jim Elliott, Stephen Saint, I don't remember all their names. Young 20-something, young 20-something people feel called to the mission field. They go down to... Or was it Ecuador or somewhere? It's to the Alcas. At that time, they were the, the, the unreached tribe, the most vicious tribe that the, the, the world knew. Basically, their, their manner of life was, our tribe's going to go over to your tribe. We're going to kill your men and take your women. We know it's going to be returned, you know. That's just the way life goes. And these men see people who need Jesus and they start trying to work. They're flying overhead. They're giving messages. They're sending gifts. Trying to show them we're friendly. And the day finally came that they would land the plane. And they landed on a river beach. Some women came out. Some young guys. And man, things were going well. They couldn't communicate. But there were some, you know. And then the men of the, of the tribe came out with spears. And they killed every one of them. And you say, well, what does that mean? How does that, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, well, I'll tell you this much, they weren't afraid of dying. 
They weren't afraid of dying because the Lord was their shepherd. Even if they have to die, they're not going to fear. And what happened later was Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth Elliott, and, 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 the, and one of the other guy's sisters went in there as linguists, learned their language, made an alphabet, made a Bible. People started getting saved. I'll tell you this, wherever the Lord's leading you, now listen to this closely, wherever He's leading you, there is no reason to fear. Now, if you're wandering around without His leading, there's reason to fear. But if it's where He's leading you, there is nothing to fear, even death itself. Oh, sin, where's your victory? Oh, death, or death where's your victory? Oh, sin, where's your... Uh, you know what I'm saying, if you know your Bible at all. It's Corinthians 15. Sin and death has no power over us. And then he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I believe he's speaking about his word and the Holy Spirit. The rod was a club that the, the shepherd could use. It was a weapon. It was, a, it was an emblem of protection against enemies. A, 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 a shepherd could throw these things like with deadly accuracy. The staff was a long stick with a crook on it, and it was used for counting sheep. And there's a passage in the Bible where he talks about how we'll pass under. He'll, he'll, he'll number us as we pass under the, the staff. How, I forget how it says it exactly. But there was a crook on the end of it, and a lot of times sheep would like get, try to get a drink, and they'd get there too close, and they'd slip into the water. And that staff was used to go out there and gently put it around them and what? And draw them back to him. We get a picture here of His Word and His Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you something. As a believer, we comfort in the fact that we can get into His Word. Isn't it incredible when you're going through something and you just pick up your Bible? Maybe you're on a systematic reading, you know, through the Bible, or maybe it's just random, but you pick it up, and all of a sudden what you're dealing with, it's right there. And God comforts you in that. And He comforts you on top of that, with the Holy Spirit, just like magnifying that. And He gives you that peace in those times of the storms. The part three of this, He says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You remember back where He says, You make me lie down in green pastures. We get this idea of everything's just great. Well, here He says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's talking about, yeah, those lush green fields he's leading you to. That doesn't mean there aren't enemies all around. Because there are. But he says right in the midst of these lions and these bears and these predators and all these things, your presence, Lord, your presence allows me to relax. No fear, no friction, no you know anxieties, no hunger. And you allow me to lay down and feast right here. With enemies all around me. You do that, Lord. I had a book I read it's called A Shepherd's View of the 23rd Psalm. There's some good things in it. He talks about these plateaus that these shepherds would lead them on, and all around it would be just enemies for sheep. I mean, they would be, you know, they'd be looking for it. And in spite of that, as long as they were with their shepherd, they could just feast. And he says, You anoint my head with oil. 
That goes back to the the conditions of being able to lie down in those green pastures when there were flies and there's the other things. I forget what they get on their nose. And this shepherd would coat them with that. And it kept all these things. And that, those are those times. How many of you ever been praying? I mean, there's been times when, when I pray most of the time, I, I'll, I'll tell my wife, I'll say, I'll be back in a little bit. I'll, I just walk down the road. And I'm, I mean, I'll be waving my arms, you know, praying. If you ever, somebody's watching in silence, you're like, wow, there's that strange man again, you know. But, um, but there's times I go, and when I start, I'm, I'm praying that my mind is on all these other things. They're just on everything but really what I intended to go do. I, I'm not really... I mean, it's like, have you ever talked to somebody, tried to talk to somebody, and their phone keeps ringing, or they're doing this and that, and they're like, oh, I'm listening, man. They're not really listening. And he says, he anoints my head with oil. He said, I'm going to get rid of all those other things. Sometimes we come to church like that, don't we? You might have came there this morning. Man, I don't know how, why in the world we do church on Sunday mornings. There's probably been more fights, more threats of divorce from men and women getting ready to come to church. I mean, they're furious on the way here. And they come in like, oh, we're doing great. And then we come in and we want to worship. And he anoints our head with oil. And then he says this. He says, my cup, my cup runs over. He's talking about the, the abundance of God's blessing to us. Now, he's not talking about material things here. God can bless you with material things, but let me, let me make this clear to you. If God has blessed you with an abundance of money and a paycheck, he has not blessed you with that so that you can have the nicest of everything. He has blessed you with that in order that you may bless others, that you may help people on the mission field, or you may support or supply this. It is always, in God's people, it is always about building up the house of the Lord. It's about reaching out to those that are lost. It is not about you having fine china and saltwater swimming pools. I know, I probably just nailed somebody. Somebody's probably just put that in. Happens all the time. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying that when God has blessed you with abundance, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they, all those Egyptians were giving them all that gold, do you know what that was for? When they got out in the wilderness, the Lord said, have them bring all of the gold and all the things because I'm going to build a tabernacle. And they started taking all of that those material possessions and they started donating and saying, here, until they said, finally, hey, keep your stuff. We've got enough to do what we need to do for the house of the Lord. That comes first, though. And then he says, Surely goodness and mercy or loving kindness shall follow me all the days of my life. If you are the Lord, if the Lord, if you can say today, the Lord is my shepherd, then he's saying, Surely. He's saying, I know of an assurance 
that goodness and listen and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now we're talking about David, right? David sinned with Bathsheba, right? He went through a year there where he he says, "My, my I'm miserable. I'm I'm aging because of my sin." But in that, God's goodness and His mercy, it never departed from David. It ne- and it, listen, and it will not depart from you as a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, God may correct you. He may discipline you. But you will not ever get away from His goodness and His mercy. It will follow you. All the days of your life. And then he says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is he speaking of? There are so many people. When I, we go into the prisons, I would be willing to say that outside of me and Justin and Barry, Barry's our guy on the inside that is just as solid as solid gets. We may be the only three in there that just pound that drum that says, if God has saved you, you're saved. I don't like the, the, the phrase, once saved, always saved. And why do I not like it? Because it's not really a good one. It's not a good term. People do with that what they shouldn't do. doesn't matter what we do. We're all, you know. No, I will tell you this, that God's people, his sheep, and I'll, and I'll tell you why I say this. His sheep. Yes, if God has, if when when God saves you, you are saved. And let me show you just why I know. In John ten, and twenty seven, he says, "My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and listen, and they follow me." And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. When David says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, he is saying that I am secure in my shepherd for eternity. That is what he is saying. Today, if you are a believer, I hope, I hope, my prayer is that God, this resonates in your heart. I hope that it, it plants down deep and there's a growth that comes from this, this truth in God's Word. If you don't know Him today... You're under his wrath. You don't have to wait. It's not like we don't know now. No, we know now. You're under the wrath of God. But this God, this King of kings, this Savior, this warrior, his word to you today is repent. It's bow the knee to me. Repent. Come, come into agreement with what I have said about you. Come into agreement with what you should do. You should turn from the way you're going and you should look to Christ.
Put your faith in him. What does that mean? What does it mean when we say just trust in Jesus? We trust in who he claimed to be. We trust in the miracles he performed. We trust in his virgin birth. We trust in his perfect sinless life. We trust in the substitutionary death, the teaching and all these things. We trust that he rose again on the third day for our justification that what he has said about himself, what his word proclaims, our trust is in him on all of these things. He says, repent and put your, putting your faith is not just like, oh, okay, yeah, I believe in Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. And the best way I can tell you how when we know this really takes place is whoever you are today, you may look the same, you may even dress somewhat the same, But when God changes your heart, there's a change. There's something different in you. You could go from a very selfish, mean, evil-spirited person, and when God changes that heart, you're somebody that shows the kindness, the love, the gentleness of Christ. And we're all working on those things. Tim, are you all coming up? If you all would, would you bow your heads with me? The music team's going to come up. Father, my prayer today, Lord, is that, God, that you, that you would be glorified today. I, I don't want to say that as just a form that we say a lot. I feel very small and inadequate this morning. I just want to thank you, and I just want to give you praise, God, for your word, for your, what, what you teach me in these things. And I just pray today that we could meditate on the things we've heard. In Jesus' name, amen.